0: What I want to do today, just for a short time, we'll probably take two or three segments to do this, is to look at a teaching that has entered into evangelicalism and particularly into Reformed theology, though it's not just Reformed scholars that have clung on to this, but it's predominantly taught in Reformed seminaries nowadays. And that is the teaching that when God created... The Earth he created it as a temple for his presence to abide in, and that a the the Garden of Eden was designed as a temple uh, the start of that temple, as it were, upon the earth so um, the basic idea is that when God placed Adam into the garden, Genesis 2, that the garden there was an enclosure. And certainly the Hebrew word that's used there means an enclosure, closed off place. And so uh, because it was an enclosure and God particularly planted it for man, the idea uh, is that It was the place that was a place of safety, um, cordoned off from the outside world. That garden, the Garden of Eden, or more accurately, the Garden in Eden, that garden was a sacred space, so it goes, because that is where God met with with Adam and Eve, and we read that, of course, in Genesis three. So, so it's a, it's it's kind of like a temple then, uh, a temple in which Adam supposedly was a priest. So so this goes, the cosmic temple which was uh, going to be created from Adam and Eve pushing out the boundaries of the garden temple uh, that was to be as it were uh, the the dwelling place of god that was to be um structured or or uh, founded upon the expanding work of mankind under god's supervision throughout the whole earth Adam was, therefore, a priest, and because the Garden of Eden was an enclosure, obviously, it didn't just protect Adam inside the garden, it kept nasty things out of the garden, unholy things and so on. And so Adam, not only was a priest, but he was also a sentinel, he was a guardian, supposedly, of the Garden of Eden. Um, so it goes, this meant that part of his duty, part of his job in the Garden of Eden was not to let evil things like serpents, especially talking ones, uh, slither into or walk into, whatever it was doing in those days, into the Garden of Eden. And he failed in that duty. He allowed Satan in and uh, should have kept him out and therefore the whole thing went pear-shaped because Adam failed in his duty. Uh, you're saying, well, hold on a minute, I'm flipping through Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 here, and I can't see anything like that. And uh, I would agree with you. That's kind of the problem, isn't it? Uh, this view is supported in such books like uh, G.K. Beale's book here, The Temple and the Church's Mission. Please notice that title. A Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God. And uh, we have his uh, popularization of that, God Dwells Among Us. And then there are many other books. Uh, uh, Beale, who is kind of at the forefront of this, in the evangelical world anyway, uh his New Testament biblical theology has several chapters that deal with this. And then you have uh T. Desmond Alexander who teaches this and um, well Jeffrey Neuhaus in his New Biblical Theology. It actually pops up all over the place nowadays and evidently this is a very uh very commonly taught in uh seminaries nowadays. For those who are not Reformed, you have uh, J. Richard Middleton, Old Testament scholar, uh, in this book, The Liberating Image, uh, the Imago Di and Genesis 1. This has uh, several pages dealing with the Cosmic Temple thesis as well. So uh, it's kind of creeping into, or has crept into, evangelicalism, and it's kind of the cool thing now to, to hold to let me just uh, give you an idea of uh of of what the cosmic temple thing is okay and then we'll have to say more about it so let me start with the popular book god dwells among us expanding eden to the ends of the earth that's the subtitle and uh, this is gk beale and mitchell kim and on page 18 here under the heading, Eden as a Dwelling Place of God, we read this, quote, Eden is presented as a sanctuary and place where God dwells, as seen in Genesis 1 and 2, and the wider witness of the Old Testament. Okay, we may uh, want to stop right there. Did God dwell in Eden? Um I know he came to Eden and he would he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden but did he dwell there there's nothing that says that he dwells there um that I think is is kind of read into Genesis 1 and 2 but moving on a little further down he says um uh, in Deuteronomy 23, the Lord commands the Israelites to keep their camp holy because he walks in the midst of their camp, Deuteronomy 23:14. When David plans to build a temple in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord reminds him that, quote, I have been walking about in a tent, the tabernacle, for my dwelling. Um, that's an altered translation. But, uh, it, it translates the verb for walk there, hithelech, uh, and it can be translated that way. In a similar manner, the Lord is walking in Eden, Genesis 3, 8. Because Eden itself was the temple and the dwelling place of God. Uh, they're only in page 18 here, and they've already got Eden as the dwelling place of God, it's the temple of God, and um, we, you can see that uh, just in one paragraph there, they've got uh, basically the idea that I've just described to you uh, already starting to be pretty well set out. But he goes on here. I'll read just one more paragraph. More explicitly, Ezekiel calls Eden a temple, referring to it as, quote, the garden of God, the holy mountain of God, quote, quote, containing sanctuaries, Ezekiel 28, 13 and 14, verse 16 and verse 18. Mountain and sanctuaries are both references elsewhere to the temple. Although not always. Ezekiel also speaks of an Adam-like person in Eden wearing bejeweled clothing like a priest. Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen, alluding to Exodus twenty eight seventeen through twenty. We'll have a look at these passages in a minute. Whose sin profanes the sanctuaries and causes him to be cast out. Ezekiel twenty eight, seventeen and eighteen. Therefore the Garden of Eden is most explicitly called a temple with an Adam like figure as its priest in Ezekiel twenty eight eighteen. All right. So you can kind of get the gist. Adam is a priest. He is uh, bedecked like a priest. He has priest clothing given to him in the Garden of Eden. And uh, his job is to kind of guard the sanctuary of God, the dwelling, the dwelling place of God. I might say this. If the Garden of Eden, of course they say Eden, but if the Garden of Eden is the dwelling place of God, he doesn't need a sentinel to guard it, does he? I mean, if God's there, who's going to come in? You know, who's not invited? Uh, that seems a little bit silly. If, if that's where God is dwelling, I mean, there aren't any going, to, going to be any illegal aliens trying to get in. This is God we're talking about. Okay? You, know, you can't resist God if he wants people to uh, stay out, they'll stay out. But anyway, uh, so Eden or the Garden of Eden is this sanctuary and as Adam and Eve, as they serve God, as they guard it, as they procreate, the uh, the temple or the bounds of the temple that enclosure uh, is pushed out as the human race grows throughout the whole earth. And therefore, the uh, wild wilderness and the lurking uh, evil that is supposedly outside of the garden, uh, that is defeated, you see, by Adam and by his posterity. Um, I'll say something here about Eden, because although uh, Beal and Kim here keep saying Eden was the dwelling place of God, they don't really mean that. What they mean is that the garden in Eden, as I've said, was the dwelling place of God. Eden itself, according to Beal, and according to uh, to many of these, these people that teach this, uh, was not a, a particularly great place. Only the garden in Eden was a delight. Only that was the safe space. Um not everybody holds to that. T D. Alexander says that the whole of Eden was that, but you will find that if you read Beal and you read uh others like this, Nye House and, and others, they will say just the garden was uh was the was the temple. Which causes kind of a little bit of um concern, doesn't it? Because maybe you know that the word Eden, its, its meaning is debated, but most scholars believe that the word delight is a good understanding of, of what Eden means. Now, when we say delight, what we mean is, is a, a delightful place that is also productive, that is also full that is that is full of life and vibrant and and so on so the idea of eden also has this uh, this connotation of being uh, verdant and uh, beautiful with water and 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 plants and and uh, all of this beauty that's that's uh, going on around it if eden itself has to be um, guarded against, so that we have just one an enclosed garden within it, obviously, Eden is also the habitat of lurking evil. It is not really a delight, which causes some issues uh, because that's what the word means, secondly. What about this idea about the world being a place that is full of uh nasty things? Is uh a hinterland, a wilderness, is is untamed, is uh is uh the the domain of, of predation and, and death and so on, thorns and thistles, which is often the way that it's portrayed. Um again, what does that do to God's Um, summary of his creative work. I mean, when he looks back on the seven days of, or the six days of creation, what does he do in Genesis two and verse three? He he says the whole thing's very good. Not just that garden, which of course isn't and doesn't enter the narrative until a few verses later, but the the first. Days of creation from the uh, amorphous mass that he has created right at the beginning and then he fashions into uh, the seas and the dry land and then the, the plants come upon it and, and then finally man is put acro- upon it. Uh, all of that order and all of that uh, work of, of creation that we see in Genesis 1, God, create, uh, God pronounces it very good. And thinks it's good enough for him to take a rest. I mean, obviously, a rest from his creative uh, work. Now, this view of, of uh, a cosmic temple where the Garden of Eden is the temple... And which represents the, uh, you know, the cosmos of God and the the, the heavens and everything else. Um, this this view seems to cast the Creator God in a very poor light, doesn't it? It's like he's done a very very little bit of the job, left the rest of it as unkept unkempt, and full of things that he doesn't like and full of evil for the innocent Adam to deal with. And he said it's all very good. And it's like, by what criteria is it very good? It wouldn't even be very good by my criteria. Never mind God's criteria, and God's criteria, I'm sure, is far higher than mine. Either it really does... The, the, the primordial Earth, either it does represent the character of of the holy Creator God, or it doesn't, and uh, according to this thesis, it doesn't seem to to uh, reflect his character at all, apart from in one little spot. So there's a big problem straight away. What about some other issues? Well, I'll go into to these, but you might ask, where does all of this this come from? And there are two places that this teaching comes from. The first place is ancient Near Eastern uh, cosmogonies, that is, um, their view of the creation of the heavens and how why God created the world and the beings on it. So this would be like uh the old Babylonian creation myths, the Atrahasis epic and so on. And uh uh also the the Marduk cycles, the Baal cycles from Ugarit. These show their limited gods, Marduk, Baal and so on, Enki. These gods create the world or create part of the world often. Uh, from chaos, and often, if you look at the um, at these myths, they they do them, uh, or they are said to create the world as a temple for themselves, and then the temples that are actually made for the gods are made in imitation of the world that was created as a temple for the god. So the temples, like Marduk's temple in Babylon and so on, the Ugaritic temple of Baal, um, these reflect, supposedly, the original creation of of the gods. And because that was the culture that Genesis was written in, um, that is how... Um, that is how the writer of Genesis also saw God's creation of the earth. Now, Beale is careful to say that the original story is is the one in Genesis, and he says that the, the other cycles, the other creation myths of Mesopotamia and so on, they are refracted, as he says, uh, and distorted through the lens of time and through paganism. But still, it's the same kind of world view. Do you see? So that's the first thing. And and Middleton makes a lot of that. In fact, uh, in one uh, part of his book, The Liberating Image, he even has a a diagram. I don't know if you can see this. This is from Barry Banstra's book of reading the Old Testament. But here what you have is the earth, the the original earth. You have the vault of the sky. You have... um, the pillars of the earth here do you see you have waters under the earth you have the waters above the earth and then the the dry land here you see and this is Sheol the place of the dead here and of course uh, that's the kind of mythological view that they believe there's was, was the culture of the day so that's what kind of what they're copying that's the first one the second one uh, is uh, what we see in for example the building of the tabernacle or the the directions of the the building of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus and the sevens that are used there. Um, Different uh, places in Proverbs and Job and and Psalms which talk about the foundations of the earth and how the Lord has has built the the earth and fastened it it, and so on and so forth. They think that that is the worldview that's being spoken of in or drawn from by Uh, Solomon and David and so on so there's more to say on this and uh, I hope that what I've said has uh, made you think and uh, hopefully you'll come back and uh, watch our second uh, study on this supposed cosmic temple uh, motif (laughs)